Passion Week, and uh, tomorrow begins our fast during Passion Week. This will be our fifth fast as a church corporately, uh, where we've set aside a week to, uh, to not eat, but rather to feast on the Lord and to find our fulfillment in Him. And uh, if that's the first time you've ever heard of it, um, man, I just would declare to you that God is incredibly faithful to move as we set aside time to come and uh, set our gaze on him, uh, petition him to move in various ways in our life. And, uh, you know, last week, if you weren't here, I would just beg of you to get online on our website and download last week's message. Uh, It's all about fasting. What is fasting? What is our hope? What do we plan on accomplishing this week of fasting? Uh, It sounds terrifying, and and I think the Lord really brings comfort to us in teachings like we had last week. And, um, you know, just as you look at the scriptures, fasting is a great way to humble ourselves before the Lord, uh, to repent of sin, to have him change our heart regarding sin. I mean, these are miraculous times where the Lord just kind of purges out sin. You know, you've heard of the cleansing that people are doing these days, uh, medically and, and, and stuff, with the way they eat. And this is... This is just as powerful, more powerful, how the Lord just kind of cleanses us of desires for things. You know, it's interesting as you read of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. You guys know Sodom and Gomorrah, just like the wicked place in the Old Testament, right? Um, It says that they had everything they wanted all the time, and they were just fat and happy, essentially. It speaks of how they, they just ate, and their stomachs were full, and then just this just led to just radical sin, and, uh, and so it's just neat to see as we empty our stomachs and just long for the Lord with our hunger, how the Lord brings just like sorrow over our sin and repentance and even a lack of desire for sin. It's interesting, my first fast, uh, you know, just kind of a week away from the TV and stuff, this is five years ago, or six years, five years ago for me, um, and uh, just there had been some shows that I had been watching that were carnal. You know, just carnal, and just kind of its intention was to be carnal. And uh, funny as heck, but carnal, all right? And just how during that fast, just like the Lord brought conviction of it, and he also just totally removed any sort of desire whatsoever to even spend my time uh, focusing on that. And that's just kind of one testimony of what the Lord does. He just kind of like removes desires for things that we as his people shouldn't want to be a part of, shouldn't want to fix our eyes on or hear, things like that. Um, You know, last week we studied how the Lord moves in times of fasting when he doesn't move in times of prayer, in times of weeping. And we studied a battle in Judges where some 400,000 Israelis go to battle against 26,000 Benjamites who were just walking in wickedness, and the little army of the Benjamites kept winning against this giant army of Israelis, right? And so the people would pray, like, Lord, should we go up and fight Benjamin? Go up. And they'd go up, and they'd lose, like, big time. And they'd go back, and, like, limping, and, oh, Lord. And they wept all day long, crying. Don't you think crying, like, oh, God, surely here's your crying with your prayers, right? So they cry all night, all day. And weep and pray. And Lord, should we go back and and defeat that wicked tribe of Benjamin right now? And he says, go up. So they go up. And they lose again. And then it says that they prayed and fasted. 
and cried out. And the Lord said, go up. And the Lord brought the victory. We also see another battle in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 with King Jehoshaphat of Judah. And outside in En Gedi, which used to be David's little paradise, three giant armies, about three million men, are coming up to attack Jerusalem. And Jehoshaphat realizes that he's surrounded on every side. And so, and they're going to lose. They're going to just have absolute devastation. And so he proclaims a fast, and the whole nation fasts, and he prays this prayer. He says, Lord, we are surrounded on every side, and I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And the Lord raises up a prophet, Jehaziel, and Jehaziel says, hey, the Lord has heard your cries. Go and position yourselves to pray and worship. And he says this, you won't need to fight in this battle, but position yourself and watch the Lord fight for you. And so they went out and they just began worshiping the Lord and the Lord confused this three million man army. So they all set their swords to each other and they all killed each other. And it took them three days to go and plunder this army and to get all their stuff. And maybe that's you. You're just at a place where you've prayed and God hasn't delivered you from certain sin. And God hasn't healed your marriage. And God hasn't brought your children to a place where they're following the Lord or following the Lord with passion. Or your Christianity is dry. It's like a dried up plant that hasn't had any water. All right? And maybe that's you. Uh, maybe you've been just struggling with just a habit and a sin and just, man, you need a touch of the Lord. I would call you to come and fast with us this week. The fast begins tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. We'll gather and we uh, printed off these flyers. Some of you got them on your chairs. We were a little late putting them on the chairs. They're out in the foyer and, uh, and on the back is the fasting schedule. And we're going to be gathering three times a day. Some of you can make it. Some of you can't. Your work doesn't allow it. Three times a day. 6 a.m. will be here. Noon will be here. And 6 p.m. will be here. And it'll be a time. It's during Passion Week. And we're going to take this Passion Week to just focus on Jesus. All right? We're going to fast and we're going to long for Jesus with our hunger. And I was reading a book by Alistair Begg called Name Above All Names. And he has this line in chapter 2 where he says, to have our minds and hearts filled with a sense of the greatness and incomparable glory of Christ. That's our longing this week, is to just set everything aside and come, and we're going to focus on Jesus. It's all about Jesus this week. All right, We're going to take um, Monday, and we're going to read through the book of Matthew together. At each one of our meetings, we're going to just tackle the book of Matthew on Tuesday, we're going to tackle the book of Mark. On Wednesday, we're going to tackle the book of Luke. On Thursday, we're going to tackle the book of John. On Friday, we're going to read Revelation chapters 1 through 3 and then 19 through 22. We're going to look at Jesus in the book of Revelation. We are going to saturate ourselves in Jesus. And on the back of this flyer, I'm sorry, my intention was to get everyone on before first service. A Charles Spurgeon quote, Revival begins with a vision... And the vision begins with a new sense of Jesus Christ. And we just want to have just a sense of Jesus again in our congregation. We want to purge ourselves of just religion and come back to the person and work of Jesus and let him work in our lives. And so uh, we just encourage you to come out and join us. Joel chapter 2 says, uh, for the elders to consecrate a fast 
And he says, wherever you're at in your life, come fast, come pray with us. Uh, he says, if you're, if, if you're a bride on her wedding day, you come fast and pray with us. If you're a groom on your wedding day, you come, if, you're having a, a, if you're nursing a baby, Joel chapter 2 says, come and fast and pray with us. We're opening it up to the whole family. If you've got something special, this is the elders of the church. And, and man, we are so excited for what God's going to do. We just had an elders meeting from 6 to 8.30 this morning. We are so stirred at what Jesus is going to do this week. He's been so faithful in the last five fasts, four fasts as a church, this fifth one. We are so expectant on what he's going to do as we just focus on Jesus. Man, we're telling you, you got sports going on in the home. Man, you, you do what you need to do to get here and get your family here. I'm coaching baseball, okay? I'm going to be here, all right? We're going to make things happen to be part of this fast. You got big stuff going? You can't outgive the Lord. Give yourself to the Lord this week. Man, I just, during the elders meeting, we spent some time just thinking about all the ways that the Lord has moved, and we just started listing things, and it's just incredible how God has moved. We're going to have Aaron and Stephanie come up, and uh, Aaron is an elder in the church. Stephanie's a women's core group leader. They both oversee the children's ministry here in our church, and uh, Aaron, Aaron is a faster. Stephanie's a faster, too. Aaron, he's like always calling. He's like, I'm fast and pray for me. I'm fast and pray for me. It's like, this guy's a pastor. He's going to share his testimony. She's going to share their fam- They're going to share their family's testimony of the past fast and, um, and invite you to come and join us this week. I'm going to let Steph go first. So those of you that know me um, might be surprised to know that I am terrified about talking in front of people because <laughs> I like to talk a lot one-on-one. Um, but um, I uh, started participating in the fast. Uh, my first time was two, three years ago, two fasts ago. And um, I actually read, actually before that, a couple of years before that, read God's Chosen Fast by Arthur Wallace. If you have not read that and you have doubts or any confusion about fasting, fantastic book. Um, Not only does it explain biblically about um, the reasons behind fasting, but it talks about just what happens to your body physically during the week. It gives you peace about everything that's going on with your body during the week. Um, And uh, that really actually uh, motivated me, got me super excited to do the fast. And then on day two of the fast, uh, that first fast, I found out I was pregnant. So I I went ahead and broke the fast because I didn't feel that I should be fasting when I was pregnant. Um, But two years ago... um, did my first fast, uh, full fast, um, like six and a half days, water only. I tried to set up everything beforehand because I have four kids. Um, that every so it was just an easy week for me. No laundry, no cleaning, no you know quick meals for the kids, um, and uh, it was tough. I won't lie, it was tough. But um, the Lord was so faithful in just sustaining us uh, as a just me and Aaron together as just parents and being able to parent our family. We had a lot of clarity that week. We had strength from the Lord, um, and no huge revelations during either fast. But it was always afterwards when I look back and see just the work of the Lord, what he did in our life and in our family's life. And last year, our little, our oldest daughter wanted to participate. And so she, um, fasted from sugar all week. That was her thing. And she wanted to do that. And even this year she said, I don't know. I, I, I just feel like I don't eat a lot of sugar and I really want to do something that the Lord, uh, you know, that's really sacrificial. So she's already contemplating what she's going to do this year. She's 12, almost 13, 12 and a half. 
Um, but one of the things that um, I did notice for, for me and, and Aaron together is just doing it together as a couple and kind of um, holding one another up and supporting one another. We've had such blessing in our marriage. Um, and, you know, I think uh, not only coming together and kind of um, working together on this, but working um, on our own individual relationships with the Lord um, and on that vertical relationship has really um, has really blessed our horizontal relationship together. And uh, we feel like we're on the same page spiritually. Um, and uh, we just have, the like, I just feel like the Holy Spirit has blessed our relationship with grace um, and more love for one another. And I think that that just blesses the whole family when we come together like that. Um, and also, so last year, the one cool thing that did happen was, um, so I had, I love our gatherings. Just so you guys know, the gatherings are awesome. It's uh, six o'clock gathering in the evening was so important for me because I was super hungry by then. And the six o'clock gathering coming here, I'm not hungry. Like I'm not hungry. We get into the word. Um, and the, the thing I loved about last year, even more than any of the years before is there was such a bonding within our church family. And, um, by the end of the week, I just felt really, really connected with those that we were meeting with. And, um, and I feel like that was something that the Lord really blessed our church body with last year. It was just a, a really deep bonding. And um, But during the week, about 3 o'clock, I was dying every day. And so I would take out my Bible. And I was like, all right, Lord, <laughs> man shall not live by bread alone. And so I took out my Bible, and I started reading through the Word. And I would literally feel a physical um, touch from the Holy Spirit, a just warm tingling from my head down to my toes, completely lost my um, desire for food during that time and the Lord completely filled me with his word and um, that's just an encouragement to you guys who are doubting who are a little nervous about going the whole week and can I do it without food you can do it <laughs> um, if I could do it and um, I, I, last night I was reading through I love this book follow me by David Platt and last night I was reading through um, we're going through it in our core group and I just found a quote that I really liked that spoke to me, and I wanted to share it with you guys. Um, and I am convinced that when we take a serious look at what Jesus really meant when he said, follow me, we will discover that there is far more pleasure to be experienced in him, indescribably greater power to be realized with him, and a much higher purpose to be accomplished for him than anything else this world has to offer. And as a result, we will all, every single Christian, eagerly, willingly, and gladly lose our lives to know and proclaim Christ, for this is simply what it means to follow him. Amen. That's awesome. Um, asked Rory how much time I had. Uh, I said, boy, you give me a pulpit, I might just want to start preaching. Uh, and that's how strongly I feel about... Um, about this, this fasting opportunity that we have before us. And as Rory was speaking, it just the witness of the Holy Spirit in my heart just spoke so strongly because I didn't know, honestly, what I was going to say before I, uh, before I stepped up here. I just said, Lord, you know, whatever you would have. Um, and, and, and that word faithfulness came, came back to me over and over again, as did the word uh, testimony. And some of you guys may know my testimony. Steph shared hers with you. But just this time of fasting has been extremely powerful. And I remember the first year that I went into it, I had no idea what to expect. And, and some of you who, who maybe are, are in that same position, you're like, what is this about fasting? And, and you know, sounds difficult, sounds, uh, you know, like it, that's, that's a lot of sacrifice. 
And, and it is. And I remember thinking that, that same thing. And, uh, and I remember going through the week thinking, why am I doing this? And, and I just kept, continued to go. I said, Lord, I know you're going to be faithful. I know that you're going to show me whatever it is that you have to show me. And, uh, and I had a list of things, just so you know. You know, Rory was naming off a list of different things in our lives that we, you know, that we, we come to the Lord and maybe we've prayed about those things and they haven't happened. Or we want the Lord to do something in us. And, we, we, and, so, we, and so I made my list. And I brought it to the Lord every day, and I kept praying about it, and I kept praying about it, and it was getting towards the end of the week, and I'm thinking, man, my list is still full, and I, and I haven't received any answers to any of this stuff. Uh, and, uh, and after a little while, my grandma, who is a faster, and uh, I joke that she has that, you know, the red phone in the office with a direct call to, to, to God, uh, that's her. And so I, uh, I called her up, and, and, uh, and, and I talked to her for a few minutes, and she said, so tell me, what has the Lord done in your life this week? And I said, Grandma, I, you know, I don't know. I really don't know. And this was probably on day, uh, day five, uh, right before we broke our fast together as a, as a church. And I was discouraged. Uh, just because I didn't see anything going on. And, and so uh, she said, well, here's what I know. She says, oh, I serve a God who, who calls us to fast. And when we do that, he's faithful to move in your life. So you may not know it right now. You may not see what he's doing in you, but, but he's going to be faithful to do that. And so that brought me a lot of peace because up until that point, I was a little bit discouraged. And so I came to Saturday, and we talked about it, and everybody's sharing their awesome testimonies of what God had done in their life. And I just remember thinking, man, I wish God had done that in me. Or, uh, you know, and I'm listening to everybody else. And I got around to me, and I said, well, I don't, I, you know, this is a rough week. You know, I, I giving up food and having to work every day and all this other stuff. I said, but I do know this, that the Lord is faithful to, you know, to work in us, even when we don't see it. And a couple weeks later, I just remember... I was, I, was, I was thinking about, uh, I, I'd really developed this hunger for the word, as Stephanie talked about, and, and, I, and, I, and that had never been in me before. And maybe some of you struggle with that. I don't, you know, it's hard for me to open up the Bible. It's hard for me to, to want to read. It's hard for me to want to pray. And I just noticed that that no longer was the case. I, I don't like to read. I'm not a reader, but I love the word of God. And it started to speak and give, and give life to me, and I started to need it like I needed food. You know, that it, my spiritual man, if you will, would, would say, i got to have that today. And, and that was a change. I'd never experienced that in my life. And, but then I was thinking about, God, I asked you for all these things, and you didn't do any of them. And I was just kind of thinking about that. And then all of a sudden, I realized that there were these, these sin issues, these struggles in my life that, kind of as Roy was talking about, I think some of us, you know, a lot of you can probably identify with me. These things that come over and over and we trip and we stumble over them and, they, and they're struggles and they're hard and we can't give them up or that thing that we're addicted to or whatever that case may be. And all of a sudden I realized for two weeks I've never even thought about a lot of these things that used to trip me up every single day of my life. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit spoke to me as clear as day, just as clear as I'm speaking to you guys right now. He said, that is what I did in you this week. You needed that before you needed anything else. And I did that in you. And I recognized it. And I knew in that moment that that is exactly what the Lord had done in me. And, it, and, I, and I've started to literally to weep, like, thank you, Lord. I, you know, it, it was so powerful. And then I was looking back, and we were talking about it last night. And, and time after time after time, we fasted. And the Lord has done amazing things. I needed healing in my body. We didn't have insurance. 
I couldn't go to the doctor. I, I prayed and I fasted and the Lord brought healing. I've never dealt with those issues again. Uh, we've had just the Lord show up in, in a sense of community in this body. And for those of you who have fasted, you know what I'm talking about. We get together and we pray and we read the word and we come together. And at the end of the week, you're like, why don't we do this forever? This is so amazing. Why do we stop doing this? Well, it's because we have to eat, for one thing. But, but, but this time of gathering together is so special and it's so precious. And there's testimony after testimony of, of lives changed from this week. And, and I look back in every single fast we've done. God has been faithful to do something absolutely amazing. And so that word testimony comes to my mind very strongly. I just felt like that was the Lord kind of kind of speaking to me this morning as I kind of wrap up this little, this little quick sermonette uh, of just, man, I can come to you with a testimony because I've seen the power of God work through this week. And, and, and you may be doubting, you may not, you know, this may be new to you, you may never have, have thought about this idea of giving up food to, for a week and, and seeking the Lord with all your heart. But I know, just like David Platt is convinced what Stephanie read, I know when you do that, He's going to meet you. And how do I know that? Because he's met me. And you guys that, you know, I would just challenge you, give the Lord an opportunity. I, maybe you came here today, you're still on the fence, you're thinking, I, you know, that's not for me. Give the Lord an opportunity to give you a testimony. That's what I just really felt like the Lord was speaking is, is, is give yourself an opportunity for the Lord to give you a testimony and give this week uh, some consideration. Your elders have called you to fast. The Bible calls us to times of fasting. And, uh, and it's not a mandatory thing, but I guarantee you that you will be blessed and the Lord will do something in you that he's maybe never done before. And so just an encouragement to you guys. The Lord uh, is in this and uh, would really um, like to move in your life. So thanks. Um, the fast uh, is kind of being kicked off tonight at our home groups. Uh, we're having Passover seders at the home groups tonight, and we're going to be, uh, as this is Passover week begins at midnight tonight, um, we're going to be, you know, having a Passover seder, focusing on the freedom of uh, Israel out of the bondage of Egypt, and how that uh, ultimately came through the shedding of the blood of the Lamb which is a foreshadowing of Jesus coming and shedding his blood. And so I'd encourage you guys, maybe you're not part of a regular home group, uh, I'd encourage you to get plugged into a home group tonight, uh, even if it's just for tonight, and be part of the Passover Seder. It's kind of our final meal before just a week of intentional pursuing Jesus. And, uh, and Saturday is a fun day too because um, as the end of the fast, we do a break the fast soup potluck dinner. And we come in and everyone brings a soup and we just break the fast together and we share testimonies of what God did during the week. And it is like one of the most special things we do as a church is getting together and, and making much of Jesus and what he's done in our lives. So, um, and uh, we kind of do Saturday morning a small break the fast breakfast, a little uh, uh, oatmeal or something just to kind of get our stomachs used to functioning again. And, uh, you know, I'd encourage you to... Um, uh, you know, a lot of times we fast from just TV, and I'm, I'm going to still eat my normal, like, you know, triple portion of, you know, mashed potatoes and what, you know, you know, I'd encourage you, like, yeah, you know, fast from those extra things, maybe whatever, Facebook or your cup of Starbucks a day or whatever it might be. Maybe that's what the Lord's leading. I'd encourage you to really pray about, though, some sort of food fasting. 
you know, because there's something about our stomach connection to the Lord. And when we're longing in our stomach, it's different than I'm longing for TV. Oh man, I really like to watch, you know, whatever tonight, but you know, instead I'm going to play video games. You know, it's like, well, good job. You know, like that, you know, just filled it with more flesh, you know? Um, but instead, man, there's something about inside when our stomach becomes a longer for God, that there's a biblical connection to the throne room of God and to his moving there. So um, that's all I'm going to say on the fasting. Please talk to the elders if you have questions, um, if you'd like prayer, you don't know what to do. If you have health issues and you're on medication, you do need to be careful and, and use discernment on what you're supposed to fast from food-wise. So uh, you could come talk to me about that as well. But um, one of the last things we're going to do, if, if you end up getting... Please, everybody get a schedule. Every night we're going to come together and we're going to focus on where Jesus was at during Passion Week. And we're going to let the Lord speak to us through that. Uh, and so today uh, kind of starts the beginning of that Passion Week when he uh, comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And so we're going to look at that today. And uh, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 19, that's our text this morning. Luke chapter 19, towards the uh, bottom of the chapter in verse 28, about halfway through rather. And let's pray before we get into the word. Lord, we thank you for these testimonies of your faithfulness, God, that you have pursued us first. Lord, we owe our salvation to the faith-filled fasting of Jesus. You're the one that fasted for us, Lord. And now we respond by fasting for more of you in our life. And so, Lord, this is, this is you. This is your plan. This is your work. This is your call. This is not of man, something that we've drummed up just to make us seem a little more religious. Lord, thank you that you love us so much, Lord. You've, we want to love you back, God. Some of us don't love you at all, Lord, and we just want to step in this week to say, give me more love for you, Lord. Even today on this triumphal entry passage, Lord, would you make our heart a longer for God? Oh, that we might have our minds and hearts filled with a sense of your greatness and your incomparable glory. Give us a taste today, Lord. Every person in this room, I believe you've drawn them here for a reason. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Day one of Passion Week 2014 happens to be Palm Sunday, uh, the day where the church traditionally marks the entrance of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem for this last week of his earthly life. It's a, you know, a day of great insights. It's a day of great misunderstanding, as we saw there on that day. Uh, for those who have had a Palm Sunday experience, I pray for you. What do you mean, Rory, a Palm Sunday experience? Well, if you know Palm Sunday, you know that the group of people that followed Jesus along on the donkey were hallowing, you know, worshiping and Hosanna and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and setting him up as king. And in just a matter of days, they were yelling, crucify him, kill him. All right. There was a group of people that went from Oh, Jesus, Lord, yeah, you're awesome, great. And they never experienced the Jesus of the cross. 
They never experienced the Jesus of the resurrection and the empty garden tomb. And I'm just praying for you guys today. Maybe you're a person that's like, oh yeah, Jesus is my Lord. But that he would show you today, maybe he's not your Lord. Maybe, you know, you think of what Jesus can give you and you're like, yeah, give me that. And then you think of what Jesus calls you to do to take up your cross and follow him. To surrender to the work that he did on the cross for you and what that calls you to. To a resurrected Jesus who's alive today and he's going to judge the living and the dead. And, and maybe you've never considered those aspects of Jesus. But, but you've got this like Palm Sunday experience down. Every gospel has some account of the triumphant entry The synoptic gospels focus on the people coming out of Bethany on the east side of the Mount of Olives where John, it's almost like he's got cameras on a different part of the city. He kind of starts out with his cameras on the the temple wall area, the, the temple mount, and how people leave the temple mount and run over towards the Mount of Olives to meet Jesus as he's on the donkey. And then they turn around and follow him back in. So every account of the triumphal entry in the Gospels, it's really cool uh, to read through them. And we're going to look at uh, much of them today. Different perspectives, these different camera angles. Uh, Jesus reveals his true identity as the Messiah on Palm Sunday. He lets it be made known that he is the king, that he is the Messiah. But it's not as people thought. They expected the Messiah to be riding in on a white steed named Charger, you know, with a big sword on the side and rearing up and then running down and tackling and killing the Roman uh, government. People had watched Jesus' miracles and they were ready for him to, to chase out the Roman army. And that's what they expected. That's what they were excited about. I mean, I'm a horse guy, grew up ranching, spent lots of time on horses, spent lots of time riding through the rocks, rocky terrain, just like Israel. And man, I was just thinking about, you know, man, when I was on my horses and we'd be, you know, chasing cows and, and, you know, the power and the strength. And for some reason this week, I kept focusing on when my, my horse's horseshoe would just walk on rocks and it just crush rocks underneath and break apart rocks and just power in a steed. You know, you just push through cattle. You can, you know, you can take on a bull, you know. Yeah, Jesus, the Messiah, the King, come on charger, man. Take out the Romans, chase them off. That's what he's going to do, right? Then there's a donkey. Then there's a colt, the foal of a donkey, all right? Not as cool, all right? Kind of flabbergast us a little bit that this is the king this is the messiah but there was something that jesus was communicating through the steed that he chose we're going to see that today and we're going to focus on luke's gospel account and kind of look at a couple of the others and we don't have much time today so it might be a little quicker than i'd originally intended but luke in the very first chapter of his gospel says hey you guys I have made serious effort to write an orderly account of everything that I've seen and my buddies have witnessed were eyewitnesses. I'm going to lay it out to you how it went down. And so it's kind of cool to go into Palm Sunday and go, we're going to read something from a physician who took great care to give us an historical account of Jesus coming in to Jerusalem in his triumphal entry. All right. It looks different than I had. I would imagine in my flesh, but it's more powerful than I would have ever planned out. 
It says in verse 28 of Luke chapter 19, Jesus went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Guys, this is the time that Jesus' earthly life had been pointing towards. This is big. Jesus sets his face, Luke chapter 9 tells us, it says that he steadfastly sets his face to go to Jerusalem. All right, he's up in Galilee and he says, it's time to go to Jerusalem. I'm on a mission. I got to go to Jerusalem because I've got to do something there. I've got a mission. And Luke chapter 18 tells us the mission. He says he took the 12 aside in 1831 and says, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem And all the things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him and the third day he will rise again. But the disciples understood none of these things. Just not hearing him. Not getting it. They don't understand that all of the prophets foretell This triumphal entry, not on a steed, not on a charger, but in lowliness with the intent of self-sacrifice for the good of the world. They understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they didn't know the things that were spoken. When Jesus set his face to Jerusalem, we're going for a purpose, and the purpose is I am going to be betrayed, and I am going to be slaughtered. And oftentimes with that saying, Jesus would say, but I will rise again. And so, as he's going up to Jerusalem, verse 29 says, It came to pass when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount called Olivet, that he set two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, or Mark's gospel says, As soon as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So Jesus is on his way from the north in Galilee, down along the Jordan River. You hit Jericho, and then you begin to head west towards Jerusalem. And you begin to climb up some steep mountains. And and it's the pilgrimage that people have taken uh, since way in the Old Testament. They would go up the mountain towards Jerusalem to worship. And you would get to Jerusalem, you'd get to the, the town of Bethany, to the, it's on the back side of the Mount of Olives, and as you'd cross over Bethany, you'd crest the Mount of Olives, and you would see this beautiful city of Jerusalem, and in the center of it would be the temple. Josephus writes that the temple had so much gold and so much glory that you could see it from miles around, just shined in the daytime. And so Jesus, he's making that psalm of ascent, or he's making that ascension into Jerusalem. Oftentimes they would sing psalms of ascension as they would go to worship in Jerusalem. And many people are there in Passover time. And so he sets up this encounter with that colt. He sets up the provision for this steed to ride, uh, to ride into the city on. Mark's gospel says, immediately the owner of the donkey will send it to me. Matthew 21:45 says all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet and then he quotes Zechariah 9:9 and we'll get there in a second. And so verse 32 tells us so those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. 
Mark's gospel says, they found the colt tied by the door outside on the street and they loosed it. I just like the descriptions like that. You know, they're going and they're like, where's that donkey going to be? And it's right where he said it was going to be. Tied up, waiting for him. You know, it's just awesome. All right. And so uh, there's going to be a similar encounter later on this week. We're going to read it where Jesus says, okay, go up to uh, this portion in Jerusalem and you're going to see a man carrying a pitcher of water. And that guy's going to have a room for us to have this Passover feast in. And so it's kind of cool. Jesus and his sovereignty, his foreknowledge, all that, he knows what's going to happen. And so it says, verse 33, as they were loosing the colt, the owner of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they sat Jesus on him or they set Jesus on him. Just neat imagery. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. So they bring, they kind of fashion their own saddle for this thing. They set Jesus up on it. They begin to go. And as they go, they kind of have this old school red carpet laid out. All right, we're going to see clothes are part of this red carpet. We're going to see palm fronds. It's like Matthew 28, 21.8 says that, A great multitude has gathered around Jesus by this point. This is before the donkey even comes. A great multitude's around Jesus. They bring the donkey. They set him on it after they put their clothes. And then this multitude just begins casting their cloaks onto the ground. Laying down, it says, uh, others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Mark tells us they were leafy branches, all right, lining the street with palm fronds, giving Jesus the royal treatment. Concerned that he's on a donkey. (laughs) There's got to be like a a stallion up here. It's his little on the way to the stallion, right? You know, what's going on? Okay, well, you got a donkey. We'll we'll roll with it. We'll roll with it. In Matthew 21.10, it says, And when he'd come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? If you've got a pen with you, will you underline that in your Bible? All the city is moved, saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. You guys, as we're taking this week to fast and focus on Jesus and crap for more of Jesus, more of Jesus, all of Jesus, none of us, all of him. It is the presence of Jesus that takes dead cities and stirs them up. It's the presence of Jesus. And that is what we are longing for in this church. The presence of Jesus. That he would just remove our flesh, our desires, my hopes, my dreams for my life. That he would invade my life and truly be my Lord, my master. Multiply that by some 250, 300 people in our church, even the children. What could he do in this town? It's the presence of Jesus that takes a dead city like Prineville and stirs them to ask the question, who is this? You couple that with the Holy Spirit's anointing, you've got the book of Acts. You've got the book of Acts where it says that these men have come and turned our world upside down. That's a quote from the book of Acts. Another quote from the book of Acts is, these who have troubled, the, uh, these men have 
exceedingly troubled our city. Let that be said of Calvary Chapel, Jesus. Oh, you're, you're with Calvary Chapel? Either people are going to be like, Calvary Chapel, oh, Jesus freaks. Or they're going to be like, I've heard of Calvary Chapel. I've heard of Jesus. Who is this man? And the multitudes would be able to say, this is Jesus of Nazareth. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the King. And you know what? This isn't some wishful thinking. Oh yeah, like this happened 2,000 years ago. It's never going to happen again. Do you ever get discouraged like that? It's never going to happen again. It's never going to happen in Prineville. Just come, Jesus, because it's never going to happen. You guys, it happens all the time. Whole cities, whole nations, whole... You guys, this is... It's historical. This year during the fast, we're going to read historical accounts every day of revivals where Jesus turns a city, turns a nation upside down. It's happened in Belfast, Ireland in the 1930s through the ministry of W.P. Mickelson. It happened in the colonies multiple times during the 1700s through multiple preachers during the Great Awakening. There's an incredible story of the Fulton Street Revival in, um, in, on Wall Street in New York in the late 1800s. Tons of unemployment. Guys just hanging out around Wall Street. And the Lord moves on one man to start a prayer meeting. Jeremiah something. Can't remember his name. So he starts a prayer meeting. He invites all these you know, people that got nothing to do. Come and pray at lunchtime. Six people came the first prayer meeting and they were an hour late. Right. So that's discouraging. Right. Like that was dumb. We're never doing that again. And then it goes, like, next day, 40 people show up. And then it just multiplies exponentially this great revival spread throughout the whole East Coast. Radical story at the Fulton Street Revival. We're going to read more about it this week. Hawaii has a revival that has happened in the late 1800s. The the stories of Billy Graham, Chuck Smith, who founded Calvary Chapel, The story of of Calvary Chapel's beginnings, you guys, it's nothing short of what we're reading today, of whole cities being moved by Jesus. You know, just some guy that's like, yeah, let's let the hippies into our church. Let's let the surfers come in. You don't have to have a suit on. You can wear your swim shorts, wear your flip-flops or nor Come on in. I'm going to tell you about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the hippies and and the uh, surfer kids that had been ostracized from the community were like, wow, like we're welcome just as we are, we can come to Jesus just as we are. Raise your hand today if you were a part of that revival. This guy was baptized down there at the Jesus movement at Calvary Chapel. Second service, Mike and Trish Teller are going to be here. And Mike was uh, saved at this revival down at, at Costa Mesa during the, the late 60s, early 70s. It's called the Jesus movement. It's a big part of church history. God still moves like that today. And we're going to just tell these stories during this week. Uh, I'll be posting it to Facebook. We'll be sharing it as we get a chance uh, during the fasting. We will read of these revivals as we set our hearts to fast and pray for Jesus. Do you believe that God can move in mighty power and stir up the hearts of those who have no interest in him whatsoever? It's during times like this week that he does it. Read your New Testament, you guys. God does it. People will start asking the question, Who is this? And oh, that you would know what to say. Maybe you won't know what to say. You can press into the Lord this week so that you would know what to say. 
Verse 37 says, Then as he was drawing near to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. I just have a little present for you. It's a very humble, modest present. But can we show the picture? This is a picture from a video I took, and I just did a screenshot of it. Because it was, it was a short video. Video would have been too distracting. But here's just a screenshot I took from a video I took two years ago uh, when I was in Jerusalem. This is, if you can get, a, get an image in your head, this is the same road path area that Jesus rode down. Coming down the crest. We're on the Mount of Olives. Coming down the crest of the Mount of Olives. Okay, We're going to be going down into the Kidron Valley. There's a, a little brook that goes down there, the Brook Kidron all right, and then we go back up to the Temple Mount. You see where the Dome of the Rock is? That is just north of where the Temple stood. All right, in Jesus's day, the gate that you see there, there's a big gate with a palm tree kind of, or with a uh, pine tree there, kind of covering it. That's the eastern gate. It's in the exact place that Jesus rode through on the donkey. And so you can just get an idea. This is the same. It wasn't pavement. You know, it's changed a little bit. The Romans did their conquest. This is the path, though. It was the best way to get around the mountain. Jesus rode down here. And, and you can just picture people just lining, multitudes, thousands of people, people coming down from the city and, and meeting Jesus and then following back as he went up in. And we see he's going to go up. We'll read at the end of our study day. He's going to go up and he's going to look around in the temple. And then he's going to go home that night. But just a little bit of an imagery of like going into Jerusalem, down from the Mount of Olives, into Jerusalem. Sorry it's not better, but at least you kind of, your mind can kind of start going there, right? I'm all about that. Sorry. So, these multitudes as he's descending, whole multitudes of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they'd seen. In fact, they are just east of where Lazarus was raised from the dead. All right, Bethany is where Lazarus lived. So there's people that bore witness. They remember Lazarus. They remember Mary being saved out of harlotry. You know, they've seen Jesus' works. And so they began getting stirred because Jesus is very powerful. John chapter 12, 12 says, The next day a great multitude had come for the feast of Passover. And when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they went out. So all these people from the, from the city went out to the Mount of Olives and they met up with Jesus there. In verse 38, they all said, as they laid their clothes down, as they laid their leafy branches and palm trees down, they said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Matthew's gospel tells us that they shouted out, Hosanna to the son of David. That's, that's a Messiah title there, son of David. Hosanna to the son of David. Mark says, blessed is the kingdom of our father David. You can just hear all these different shouts there on that road. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. John's gospel says, the king of Israel. Do you hear all the different chants that are being shouted out? Hosanna, son of David, king of Israel. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The word Hosanna means save now. I mean, they didn't think of that song that we know, like Hosanna, 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 you know, whatever, Michael W. Smith, late 90s, whatever. I mean, but th that's language to them. They're going, save us, save us. Go get the Romans, chase them out of here. Save, save now. Be victorious. 
Rescue us, the language says. It's a quote from Psalm 118. It's a messianic song that they were singing. And it goes like this, Psalm 18, 22, The stone which the builders has rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. This is what's being sung here. They don't know that they just sang the stone that the builders has rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Because they're actually singing about later on that week when they're going to reject him. And he's going to come back as the chief cornerstone one day. They forgot the context of the song that they were singing. They just, let's drop down a couple lines in our song and sing the chorus of, kick the Romans out. (laughs) Be our king. Rescue us. Hosanna. The psalm says, send now prosperity. So while save now is Hosanna, send now prosperity is Haslaya. All right? Haslaya. We can sing that in our songs. That's okay. It's a messianic song. Haslaya means force an entry, cut through, rush in, Lord, exceed for our prosperity. That's what they were singing. All of these cries were being sung and chanted and declared with earthly expectations. That this would be an earthly king. Come and set up our prosperity here on earth, Yeshua. Yeshua Mashiach, Jesus Messiah, come on this earth right now. Ignorant of the heavenly concern. That Jesus was carrying on his shoulders that day. Have you guys ever read Ben-Hur? Oh man, read Ben-Hur. So good. So what we're talking about, this battle in this man, Judah Ben-Hur, who's hearing of this Jesus of Galilee, Jesus of Nazareth, watching the miracles from a distance. He's a a soldier, but he's watching this and he's like, I'm ready. I'm going to take my sword out and I'm going to help him beat the Romans back. But what's he doing? He's so humble. I mean, the donkey thing was over the top, like... Uh, and another prophet says, what if it's not just about his earthly kingdom that he's setting up? What if there's something else that he's about? What if there's something spiritual in nature? Great book. You got to read it. Now, this triumphal entry was the only public declaration or demonstration Jesus ever orchestrated. And he did it to fulfill prophecy. The date of the triumphal entry was April 6, 32 A.D., And if you study Daniel chapter 9, you'll discover that this was the exact day predicted by the prophet Daniel. It's the exact day that Messiah would present himself to be king to the nation Israel. Daniel, in his prophecy, he teaches us that 69 periods of seven years need to take place before Messiah comes. From the period of the time that the decree is to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem, 69 sevens, if you will, or 483 years, or on the Jewish calendar, 173,880 days from the declaration to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem in the book of Nehemiah, all these days go by, and the exact 
day that Daniel says, Messiah will come, Messiah comes. Bible prophecy is powerful. And then what does Daniel say? And then Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. This is Bible prophecy, you guys. We're reading of it happening here. April 6, 32 AD, the exact day of Jesus' donkey ride. Jesus told people and demons not to declare who he was. It's not the right time, but here on Palm Sunday, the time is right, but Jesus is going to grieve because the hearts of the people are not right. The message of the kingdom of Jesus is focused and centered upon humility and sacrifice, specifically the cross. And his kingdom is not one merely of this world only, but of spiritual redemption and spiritual implications. The kingdom of God is big. It's much bigger than these individuals crying and chanting could ever imagine. The Jewish leaders should have known Daniel's prediction. They should have known when the Messiah was going to be coming in. Zechariah 9.9 is another uh, prophecy of this day. And in Zechariah 9.9, it says, Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. The colt, the foal of a donkey. That's a prophecy from Zechariah 9.9 that's 650 years before the triumphal entry. And here comes the king, the Messiah, lowly, humble, riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. How does the king come? Not on a steed, not on a stallion, not with an entourage, but in humility. This king was born in a stable. This king was born to be a suffering servant, Isaiah 53 says. There is no form or comeliness in him that in and of his outward appearance we would desire him, all right? He wasn't flashing his biceps and his six-pack and all that and, you know, cruising around with, like, locks flowing in the air. He was a humble bush. He was just like a little dried-up plant. That, just a first glance, that wasn't what was attractive about him. John chapter 12, 16 through 18 tells us that his disciples didn't understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that the things were written about him. And that they had done these things to him. So they're thinking like Daniel 9, 20, 40, 60, 80, you know, <laughs> multiples of 7, 63 times, you know, comes out to April 6, 32 AD. We were there. We did that. We flew. Whoa. All right? Or Zechariah 9, 9, lowly on a donkey, the colt, the foal of a donkey. Oh, my goodness. And it says, therefore, Luke, uh, John twelve seventeen, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. All of this is taking place. Hosanna, save now. They cried out, peace in heaven. That's a good thing to pray out. Peace in heaven was going to be taking place that week. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that Jesus himself is our peace. And he has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. 
It says that Jesus abolished in his flesh the enmity or the war. That is the law of commandments contained in the ordinance so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity or the war. And he came to preach peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Peace in heaven. Yeah, this week, I'm going to make that available. This week, through my death on the cross, I'm going to put to death the war between you and God. Now, the multitudes in Israel, they knew how to raise praise and how to make a ruckus. We read of it in Ezra. When they had finally finished, it says, The builders laid the foundation of the temple in the Lord in Ezra 3.10. And the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets. And the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. They sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. And they sang this, For he is good, his mercy endures toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men who'd seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of his temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy. Listen to this. So that the, the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. Man, there's times when the Lord moves radically places, and there's just such a, such a shout, such a movement, that there's like a, a tumult like this, I suppose you'd call it. The triumphal entry of Christ is a scene similar to in 2 Samuel 6.13, when David escorts the ark back to Israel, and there's trumpets and cymbals and dancing and joy, because the ark is coming back. And it says David, not sure what was going on, says that he danced before the Lord in this parade in a linen ephod, the whitey tidies of the day. I mean, he's just out there, you know. And it says as they're coming in that his wife Michael looks from the window out of Jerusalem and sees David dancing and she disdains him. She's disgusted. Like some of you wives when you see your husband dance around the weddings and things, you know, just like, and she makes fun of him later. And David says, man, if you would have known what God was doing today, man, I'd be more undignified than this. The response to what God is doing. And we see that happening here. There's always going to be Michaels in times like this that are just like, you guys are fasting for a whole week. Oh, just, you know, even people in the church will be like that. And we see here that in the triumphal entry, all this ruckus is happening and these callings of the king in 39 of our text today says some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. What is this? In John 12, 19, the Pharisees said among themselves to each other, You see that you're accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. They're just jealous now. They see this following. This people are buying into following after Jesus. And they are concerned of how they look to their neighbors and their friends as religious leaders. 
They were concerned about their place of power or prestige, and that will always bring about frustration because you never make progress. And the Pharisees were always frustrated because they were never going deeper in what God had wanted for them, which was relationship. They were upset. Maybe you're in a place of frustration. Frustrated by praise you can't stop. Frustrated because of progress you can't make. It's because God has something more for you. And they say, rebuke your disciples, Jesus. But he answers and says to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. I really wish the disciples would have shut up for a minute or two. It would have been cool to see the original Rolling Stones in concert. No? Real rock music worship. No, okay, sorry. You know, Jesus knows that his disciples' praise was shallow, these multitudes. He knows that many of them are going to turn on him by the end of the week. He sees Thursday night coming up. And he knows that every one of his disciples is going to leave him alone in the garden and flee and run away from him. He knows that, but he still defends them. He still defends them to these mockers. Why? Because Jesus will be praised. The whole design of the universe is for the glory of God. The heavens declare his majesty. The trees of the earth, man, they're going to clap their hands. The rocks are going to cry out. Psalm 96 says, let the heaven rejoice and the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all of its fullness. He will be praised. Man, may it be from us. May it be from us, Calvary Chapel. May it be from us this week. Lest Barnes Butte have to start shouting out. Lest the rim rock have to start crumbling because of his glory. And may you see him in such glory. The Psalms are full of wonderful pictures of that, the earth praising. 41 tells us, as he draws near to Jerusalem, he sees the city and weeps over it. You know, Rembrandt has a painting of Jesus, where if you cover one of Jesus' eyes, this side of the face will sparkle with joy and with hope. If you cover the other side of his face, you see his sorrow. And I think that's kind of what Jesus had that day. There was a, a sparkle in the face of Jesus saying, Yes, I am the king who comes in the name of the Lord. This is my city. These are my subjects. But in the other si side of his face, there's, there's sadness. Because there's going to be no rain in Jerusalem this week. No peace. No coronation day. Not now yet. It's coming. But it's not what's going to happen this week. In fact, these very people are going to reject him. Jesus wept. In fact, in Isaiah 53, it says that he is a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He wept because, first of all, he knew the agony in his heart of unrequited love. He loved them so much, but it wasn't reciprocal. There's a tragedy of lost opportunity in these people as they won't love him back. He weeps because there's inconsistency among him. He knew that the commotion was partly real, but largely superficial. There was a shallow understanding of who he was and what he was coming that day to accomplish. We know people are happy to shout the praise of somebody who's going to give them what they want. Guys, I hear people in this town all the time like, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, Master Jesus, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. 
He's not their Lord. Is that you? Just shallowness of speech. The good Lord. The Lord. Is he the Lord? He wasn't in these people's hearts. And Christ knew it. In a couple days, they would yell out from Hosanna. They would go to crucify him. How quickly we go from we praise you, Jesus, to we never knew you, Jesus. His mercy is tenderly moved here. We're almost done. In fact, let's have the worship team come on up. He says in verse 32, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. He weeps because there are terms for peace. For you today, there's terms for peace with God. For our town of Prineville, there are terms for peace. But it requires a humility, a surrender, a repentance. The Jews would reject the terms for peace. And he weeps over that city. You know, one of my favorite places to pray is to go up on the viewpoint and to pray over our city. Just watch the cars coming in, Les Schwab trucks, you know. Just watch the school and the kids get out. Just watch all over the town. You see people and just pray over the people. I don't think I've ever wept over Prineville from the viewpoint, though. And I pray that during our time of fasting, we would have the compassion of the Lord Jesus, his tender mercies, that we would have such a broken heart for our town, the majority of which is going to hell for eternity. And we would weep and say, oh, Prineville, Prineville, if you only knew today the terms that would bring your peace and that they are found in the Lord Jesus. He says in verse 43, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close in on you on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave on you one stone upon another because you did not know this, the time of your visitation. You know, Jesus visited. All in the scriptures we see a visitation from God. Sometimes it's in judgment. Sometimes it's in salvation. This case it was for salvation. But they didn't receive the terms of peace. Because of that, the Roman general Titus would come and lay siege against the city for some 163 days. A horrific siege would take place. You can read about it in the War of the Jews by Josephus. It's very interesting. Read. I think you can get a free download online. And you'll read this account from Josephus. I've never trembled by reading anything but scripture. And you read of what happened in Jerusalem, and your stomach will turn, your heart will melt, and you realize it's all because they rejected the Messiah. They murdered the Messiah. They rejected the terms for peace. And because of that, some 600,000 Jews died in Jerusalem alone through the siege against the city. People were starving. People were killing each other. Women were eating their own babies. It goes on and on and on to show how horrific and sad this is. But Jesus has come with terms of peace. As we close just in response to our first Passion Week text today, if you've never responded to Jesus, 
and, so, and said, Lord, whatever it is that you've got planned, I want your terms of peace. Man, I would just encourage you to do so today. I mean, if you're honest with yourself, maybe your Christianity has been a Palm Sunday Christianity. Give us what we want. Bring the victory in my life. Don't go to the cross. Don't die for the sins of the world. Don't demand complete allegiance from us. Forsake all and follow you. Don't do that. Just come and give us what we want right near, right here, right now. And maybe the Lord would say to you today, press in this week and you'll see I've got much more than the here and the now, the what you want. We can cry out today in communion, Hosanna, Lord save us. We can accept his terms of peace. During this last song, we're going to go to communion. You can come forward and grab the elements from the table, the cup and the bread. And, and as we do that, let's remember our king. That his tender compassion for the city of Jerusalem led him to do something for the city of Jerusalem. Where he sacrificially laid down his life and died for the sins of men. Doesn't that make you want to respond? Doesn't that make you want to submit to his lordship, his plan, his ways? I pray that you would this morning. I pray that you'd... You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.